There's so much to share with you. So many treasures I have a hard time choosing. It's like if you were to go into a garden in the spring and there were hundreds of flowers blooming and you wanted to gather flowers to put them on the shrine, you would know which ones to choose. The interesting thing is that no matter which thread one picks up from this teaching and draws on it, it's so holistic that every other thread is pulled along with it. You can enter it from any direction and it will take you into its totality because it is truth. And the truth has that kind of integrity. Again from these inspired utterances, Thus have I heard, at one time the Lord was staying near Sawati in the Jeta Grove at Anattapindika's monastery. On that occasion the Lord was sitting and reviewing the various unwholesome states that had been abandoned by him and the various wholesome states that he had fulfilled through development of the mind. And then on realizing that he had abandoned these unwholesome states, he uttered this verse, what formerly was, later was not. What formerly was not, later was. What was not will not be and does not exist. That's what the Blessed One said. We are sitting here with the conditioned mind and the conditioned form, the body, and observing how they interact, already you may have noticed that they are not the same. Just by observing the mind wandering, and the body is here but the mind is wandering, if they were the same the body would also be wandering. But the fact that it doesn't wander gives us an insight. Oh, the mind and the body are not the same. So as we observe this wandering, this is most important. And many human beings never notice this difference as long as they live. And yet when we sit down, we notice. Did your mind wander? Did anyone's mind not wander? It's a very important insight, as basic as it may seem. It is a doorway into a pervasive truth. It's a universal truth for all of us. Then we see that we have so much commonality 
that our differences become trivial. And it is in those universal shared principles our whole existence is hinged within our own body and mind. We discover these truths. Then we realize that if we study our own mind, body, mind, and their processes, material process, and then the process of consciousness, and see that they're different, and study the way they interact, and how to manage that, then if we can understand that, we have understood everyone, not just ourselves. Just like if you take a piece of bamboo, you've heard this analogy, and you cut it and look in it, you'll see that it has a certain cellular structure, texture, appearance, a form that we can know and perceive in the mind. It has a circularity aroundness, and the air passes through that space of the bamboo. And we don't have to go and cut down every bamboo in the forest to know the nature of bamboo. Only one. And so it is with human being. Study one human being. We can only study one. There is no way that we can study the nature of the mind by looking at someone else. But we can study our own mind and then we can know mind. Mind as a universal phenomenon. The dhamma of mind, the reality or the real components of mind, the nature of mind, becomes known to us. And then we can understand the nature of all mind. Every mind, your mind, my mind, every mind, is like that. That's why if Buddha mind was developed two and a half millennia ago, every human mind has the seed to develop in that way. Then if that potentiality is there, why would we not want to fulfill it? Why would we try to do anything else? Why would we look for knowledge that is not relevant to understanding what we really are? Seeking after information. So many kinds of information. This is the age of information. We can become obsessed with collecting information. Some people are obsessed with collecting Buddhist information, even. Just collecting books full of words that explain interesting things. But that kind of information does not inform, it points to the truth, but by itself it is not truth. So if you never ate a chili pepper, 
how could I describe to you the taste of a chili pepper? You can read recipes as long as you want. You can read stories about hot chilies. You know, the story of Nasruddin. He's going through a basket of chili peppers. And someone asks him, what are you doing, Nasruddin? And he says, I'm looking for the sweet one. Looking for truth in books, we can read the books and feel wonderful, but we cannot inhale that wonder. We can't really taste it unless it points us so deeply into the heart that we sit quietly in the moment and get some kind of realization of what we are. But just from pure conceptual knowledge, we won't taste that. So there comes a time when enough books, enough. And we just come and sit. That's very courageous. It's much easier to... It's like an armchair mountain climber reads about other people that did it and gets all excited but doesn't have to make any effort. And then if that person went to the base camp of a high mountain, he or she would be unable to climb. Only in maybe a rare instance. And then we need the gear. You need special boots and coats and maybe even a a mask, breathing equipment if it's a very high mountain. Otherwise, you could die up there. It's dangerous. And so it is with this practice. I'm not suggesting that it's dangerous. But we can be misled. We can think that after we've experienced a certain kind of bliss, I've met people who believe after so many times of sitting and practicing and they get some blissful experience and they think that's it I've done it and they go back into the world and very obviously they still suffer the freedom from suffering we can know when we're in the world we can truly know we can know by seeing how empty Empty in the sense of unperturbed, unmoved. That doesn't mean that we have no feelings and that we are stiff and insensitive. It's not an indifference. It's not an aloofness. It's a deep, intuitive, joyous connection to all life. Not picking and choosing this but not this that but not this this but not that not like that not getting rid of the people you don't like and just being with your pals but having a welcoming relationship to all conditions whatever comes towards us we can meet it as a blessing 
it seems impossible. We have the seeds of that in us, every one of us. Then we can read what the Buddha says, what formerly was, later was not, the delusion, the disturbance, the suffering, the irritation, and worse, the despair, the disappointment, the unbearable feelings, retracting from life because it cannot. That disappears. It doesn't disappear because we aggressively suppress it or reject it or stash it away somewhere, stuff it down. But when we have the understanding of the profundity of this presence and we learn how to allow it in, as it fills us and we are present, for that truth, then there's no space left for all that undesirable impurity. One of the translations of akusala is defilement. It's a very um, pejorative type of word. But what it really points to is that there is light in, in the heart, but there is a veil. So we don't know, we don't see. We're, we're blind. We're like blind people. And the whole point of this project is to see. But then you will say, I'm not blind. I see. I see fine. I had laser surgery. And some people will say, I have 20-20 vision. But what seeing counts, the seeing of these organs isn't perfect. It changes. Just wait. If you don't wear glasses now, and eventually the lenses, they just can't do it anymore. It's not the eyes, it's the ears, it's something. It all begins to disappear and fade. But there is one kind of seeing that is not imperfect. It is a perfect seeing. A perfect seeing is real to perfect the seeing within. That's by studying the reed of bamboo, studying the mind, and understanding what are we then? If we are not our thoughts and we are not our bodies, then what are we? What was formerly all that obscurity, it's like the clouds in the sky, when the sky is clear like on a winter's day, here in Ontario on a beautiful sun-drenched winter's day. It may be cold, but there's a brilliance and the sky is vast, empty, totally empty. Where are the clouds? Gone. As soon as the sun comes up, no clouds. So it's the same with truth. As soon as the truth dawns on us, then all these other impurities and unwanted states of mind disappear. They abandon us. We don't have to abandon them. They naturally leave. Very often people speak about getting rid of anger. How do I get rid of my anger? How do I conquer greed? 
how do I cure myself of my addictions? If we attach ourselves, attach in the most wholesome way, so attach means like I spoke before about the faithfulness to that presence, the dedication, the surrender to what is, taking the me, it's like pulling the pin on the ego. You pull that pin of believing in it, and it falls. But then it recreates itself immediately. So the key is to keep pulling the pin. As soon as we pull it, it reappears and keep pulling the pin. That's what mindfulness does. Sati is remembering to pull the pin. Paying attention to the object and dropping into the presence. Purely, totally. Then everything else rushes away. Like the force of that purity presides. It's majestic and it rushes in when we are that empty of all these other poisons. Even good thoughts will keep us in the conceptual realm. It's like reading the book. You may read the book, but you're thinking and conceptualizing, then we cannot rest in that presence. Unless we have become established in that presence, the ego will recreate itself. Then thought is just another manifestation of self. But I'm a good person. I think good thoughts. But still, it's a different dimension. It doesn't mean we have to be silent forever. I'm only pointing to giving that reality that is obscured a chance to completely root itself in the heart so that we know its taste all the time, so that we never abandon it and never allow it to dissipate, never far away from it. Just like a mother, a responsible, loving mother, would never leave her baby. Even if she has to go and heat the food to feed that small infant, she still can hear. She can keep an eye. She always has her attention somehow on that small, little, precious bundle. And in the same way, when we're cultivating, like the gardeners growing the flower, gently, not to get rid of the weeds, because you might pull the flower out by mistake. If you've planted seeds and you're madly pulling out all these weeds, this is a very refined work and takes a lot of care. Automatically, what formerly was Later, it won't be there. So we will be empty. But only that emptiness is a fullness of being. It's the fullness of being totally present. And still, the mind absolutely at rest with all conditions. So that's a state of oneness with the unconditioned. And what was will not be. 
So the things that we were formerly attached to that seemed so overwhelming and important and problematic and unmanageable suddenly seem just nothing. It's okay, nothing at all. So tremendous ease, peace with all conditions. And that's possible. And what was, when we're fully established, fully established means through all the various stages of freedom from worldly conditions, then the suffering that was is not only not there anymore, but it never will exist for us again. Oh, what a freedom. Why wouldn't we wish for that? But people don't. <laughs> they wish for Vista 8, the latest operating system. That's what we want. Or we cling to our addictions. Even our addictions to sadness and sorrow, to our painful past. I'm a traumatized person. Then there's a story to tell and to repeat. And we feel we get some sense of being alive from it. But it's the bondage, not a freedom. And we believe in it so much. It's in fact, a creation of the mind that has become calcified, like calcification. And we don't know how to find the real medicine to dissolve it anymore. We just keep adding more calcification because that's all we know how to do. And then all the doctors that we go and visit, they try various, no one can really help us. And there are more and more syndromes of this sort manifesting that even our miseries become very specialized. That's not, I'm not trivializing them. This is serious. This is serious suffering going on. And people are not able to find the way out. Even medical professionals are not able to solve these selective disorders. They begin with some genetic component and then added on to that is some psychological component and before you know it, you have a very complex dis-ease in the body which has a mental component added on top of it and then we are incurable. The body is incurable but the mind doesn't have to be. The mind can be freed of that dis-ease, that unease, that disconnection from our true resting place that will free us. And if we just incline ourselves, if we can only learn how to dissolve what we've added onto all the suffering conditions of human existence, which each one of us is bound to experience in one way or another. 
two days ago, a friend just died. But, of course, more and more. As we get older, we lose each other, all of us. Every one of us will be gone. We don't know who will go first and how. But that's the journey. Then, if we can understand the mind process, the body process, by studying and observing and understanding, then death will be the most natural thing in the world. The wise never fear death. Wisdom is not information. It's to be experienced directly here and now through our own attention properly directed established concentrated and developed then reality rushes in to reveal itself when you see winter dissolving winter is melting ice is melting winter is melting when the sun melts the ice when it's cold ice can be so powerful when we were on retreat recently in the beautiful Lanark Highland and we had those few days when it was thawing do you remember it got quite warm it went above zero so the roofs covered with snow the snow slowly began to melt there were these giant icicles hanging from the rafters and if you were standing in the woodpile collecting a log of wood you would have to take care not to stand in the trajectory of those icicles they were quite heavy they could hit you on the head and you'd be very badly injured ice is dangerous but when the sun rises then the ice melts this is a simile for the light of Dhamma when the light of this truth rises inside our own heart when we wake up to it and see directly through our own experience just through the stillness of the mind suddenly understanding and seeing for the very first time truth after truth beginning with the mind is wandering the body is sitting here they are not the same nature then that illumination small beginning illumination we expand it we develop it, it grows, and very soon the ignorance in the mind melts. And the flowers of wisdom naturally blossom, just like there will be snowdrops. Have you seen any snowdrops yet? As soon as the temperature gets to a certain point, there will be crocuses and snowdrops, and then all the flowers that naturally come in succession the daffodils the narcissus the tulips the foxgloves and then on to summer and fall and and then it's 
the colors changing and this is the nature in its cycles. There is so much we can learn from observing nature on the outside which reflects the learning of observing the nature of the mind and body and their connection. So this practice that we're doing is not just a a little relaxed weekend here on the precipice of major discovery here. And you can feel a gladness that you even came. How many billion people are on this planet? How many people are interested in doing this? Not many. I don't see them rushing in, knocking down the doors. There are actually, and some teachers really get big crowd. And they charge a lot of money. The teachings, these teachings have no price tag. Every human being should freely be able to hear this teaching. That's what I'm trying to do in the robe. I'm committed to being somehow a microphone, a vehicle or a vessel to keep ringing the bell and reminding people there is this, this is possible and freely. This is my life. My joy, my reward is just knowing and sharing and rejoicing in these truths and in being with spiritual friends. It's a precious, precious opportunity and we have only to rejoice in these blessings. And then when we leave here, we take a little bit of this with us Try to guard it carefully in your own life so that you don't forget, because we do, we forget. Then maybe you'll run across someone else who will ring a bell or wave, Hi, remember? Like if you see Ajahn Viradhamma, he'll remind you. Or if you have a little space in your home where you can sit quietly with a candle and remember what was that? What was that that fell away when I was able to let go of self-view, of time, of self-cherishing, of thought, of worry, of distraction, of desire, of resistance, of confusion, of doubt, just by dropping into pure present awareness and being at one with your own experience. What was that? come back to sitting silently and just tasting it again and 
developing it, making space. We have to make space in our lives for that. Otherwise, we forget and we go on living the worldly rhythms which are an entrapment. And relying on information and on experience and on external conditions to make us happy, but because they can't, we continuously repeat our disappointments and then we get a headache, heartache, an illness, a fear that we cannot overcome. And we cannot fulfill our full potential as human beings, which is what we really all wish for. And now that we know it's possible, may we always remember that the seeds of that are within us. We only need to water them in the right way, in the true way, and they will flower. It's like, have you ever had a bulb of narcissus in a pot and maybe forgot to put it in your garden and then gone downstairs and looked in the box and it's growing in the dark. It's just begging to grow. So you take the pot and put it out in the sun and out comes this wonderful, fragrant flower. Give it the right nutrients, developing not just the meditation, but your commitment to ethical practice, ethical living, and to allowing the wisdom within you to mature patiently, courageously, and joyfully. Develop the that joyous sensation that you get from the concentrated mind, so still, so balanced. How to return to that, remember, and do it again in the same way. Then the suffering has no leg to stand on, and it just melts like the ice. When it melts, we are protected by this abiding in truth. It's a real shelter. That's the meaning of these refuges we take. Refuge is a secure and trusted state. It's an internal refuge. It's not like hiding under a building in a storm or a hurricane. But the storms of the heart cannot disturb us then. And if you think, I don't quite believe that, because this is not something that can be understood with beliefs. This is not a belief system. It's a come and drink. It's a pasiko. Come and see. Experience. Feel. Connect. Be with through the silence and the space and using those right tools like the mountain climber. You want to go up that mountain, you have to be properly equipped. 
And this mountain is steep. Don't think it's just, sure, I'll do this. That's ego, ignorance, not understanding how difficult it is to penetrate through the masks, the layers, calcification, like those barnacles on the boat. It's very, very difficult to penetrate through, but it's possible. And to do it with spiritual friends makes it even more possible. How can we do this alone? You may all be familiar with the Buddha's advice to Ananda. The Buddha exhorted his disciples to make him their friend, not in the sense of, let's sit around and chat, but find the Buddha, the Buddha mind, or the perfect wisdom, perfected wisdom within, inside. That's the meaning. But until we are able to rest in the perfected state, until we reach that perfection of wisdom, we have a steep climb. Who will accompany us? Our spiritual friends are 100% of this path. These are the Buddha's words, his advice, his counsel to his disciples. Don't think that you can just complete this, fulfill this, without a community to support you. Gather together in ways to fulfill this highest aspiration of a human being without any enmity or jealousy or competition, me before you. No me, no you. Community means that we are eager, cheering each other on. Yes! Even if we're not able, as able as the next, but you feel the gladness. This is developing mudita, empathetic joy for each other. And likewise, when someone else is struggling and unable because they're caught up in their identification with self and despair and then we reach out our hand. Remember, come back. Let's sit together and create the space, the emptiness, so that the wisdom of the perfected mind, heart, can shine and dissolve, melt away all those despairing, deluded states that obscure that light. We can do this for each other. We may have been brought up blind, but let us, all of us, commit ourselves to seeing even as we die, even if at the moment we take our last breath, everything opens. Even if we were brought up in blindness, lived most of our lives unconscious, 
that doesn't matter. As long as consciousness can fully awaken while we still have this capacity to awaken. As long as we're alive and we can use the mind and discern and realize truth, it doesn't matter how long it takes. Just say yes to surrender. Like Obama said, yes, I can. It seemed impossible, didn't it? How could this happen? And, and it happened. So yes, we can. But it's not the we, the I, doing. It's the undoing. Let's chant some words of rejoicing together.